The AI Today podcast, produced by Cognolytica, cuts through the hype and noise to identify what is really happening now in the world of artificial intelligence. Learn about emerging AI trends, technologies, and use cases from Cognolytica analysts and guest experts. Hello, and welcome to the AI Today podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Walsh. And I'm your host, Paul Schmelzer. And, you know, we're really thrilled and excited that we have heard from so many of you, our podcast listeners. Uh, We obviously pay very close attention to what our podcast listeners say. We pay a lot of attention to our stats, of course. And what we noticed and what we have heard from our audience is that you all really like when we focus on educational topics and topics that explain ideas and trends, but actually go beyond just explaining, really help provide some guidance, some advice, some insights into how to do things right. Because I think we all have already been down this road. We all know what these various concepts are. And I think Kathleen and I, we kind of roll our eyes a bit sometimes when people are redefining AI yet again for the 523rd time, multiply that by a thousand maybe. But, um, But very few people talk about the way to do things right. And we have heard from a lot of folks who have subsequently signed up for our training or education or who have come to some of our events and told us that they have really gained a lot from our podcast because it's helped them think about how to do things right. And that's kind of where we are today. You know, we are on the AI Today podcast. We've been around for over five years now, fifth season, uh, 250 plus episodes. And, you know, we've we've done interviews. We've provided insights into markets and where things are going and applications in different industries. But on this podcast, we're going to focus on really providing some guidance and and uh, around this area of automation, but I'm going to have Kathleen talk a little bit about that. I don't want to rattle on too much <laughs> before we get. Sure. Started. So as Ron mentioned, you know we we want to have a lot more educational style podcasts because that's what our audience seems to really want a lot of, and there still is some you know fundamental level education that needs to occur in the market. You know, like Ron said, so many people will define what is AI and that you just go down a rabbit hole with and doesn't actually provide useful and and meaningful conversations. But we've wanted to talk more about, uh, you know, different aspects, not just that kind of, you know, very, very fundamental stuff, but foundational level things. We, if you've listened to our podcast for a while, know that we have done other educational style podcasts. We had uh, an AI use case series. We also had an AI failure series. And we talked about different reasons why AI projects fail and then how to overcome that. Not enough people talk about that. So we wanted to make sure that we dedicated about 10 podcasts or so to different reasons that we have seen common themes for AI failure and how to overcome that. In addition to artificial intelligence, though, at Cognolytica, we also focus on automation And we focus on analytics, predictive analytics, and we wanted to make sure that we spent in machine learning. So we wanted to make sure that we spent some time on our podcast to talk about automation and what it means in the context of AI and intelligence and your journey with that. So we wanted to spend a little bit of time today on our podcast talking about Our automation roadmap and really what, you know, how do we move from automation to intelligence? And today's podcast is going to focus on where do we start? You know, how, how do we address and identify if, if we should automate and then what does that mean? 
Yeah, and this is actually the second uh, episode in this series. You might think, well, this sounds like the first, and it actually is the first where we get into the, the how and where and why do we start automation. But we did a previous podcast, which we'll link to in our show notes, uh, that sort of talk about the, re- that the reason that there is a roadmap. It's like you might think, oh, well, it's a one-step journey. You either don't automate or automate. And actually, the truth of the matter is that it is a multi-step journey, mainly because we can do increasing levels of intelligence with our automation. We can you know, do dumb automation. We can do smarter automation. And it's not an all or nothing thing. The other thing we want to make a big note about is that um, for better or for worse, I think a lot of people are getting their education from technology vendors, from the folks who are selling products. Now, there's nothing wrong with that because that's generally how a lot of the world has worked. But um, the, the issue, of course, is that these vendors, are, first of all, they're all moving very fast. Uh, a lot of times, you know, their education is really meant to help use their products and buy their products and, of course, help sell more of their products. And we totally understand that, too. But a lot of times it doesn't ask the question of, well, maybe I shouldn't get started to begin with. Maybe this project that I'm trying to do maybe requires a different solution, or maybe I am automating or doing the wrong thing, or maybe I need to jump ahead two steps instead of one step, or maybe I need to take a half step instead of the big step that the vendor wants. And that's kind of where this education sits. It really, that we're, what we're doing both here in this podcast is really more of an insight into our education, but probably more importantly in our actual training and certification, what we do uh, in our organization is we provide that deep level of guidance to help people not just understand the concepts of automation and understand the main ideas, which we are sharing with you freely here on this podcast. So we're not, you know, this is something we we want everybody to understand. It's in our benefit for everybody to understand that there are many steps and things to consider. But when you're actually trying to take that next step, that's kind of where, okay, now you need the, the tools and the methods and the, and the, the roadmaps and the flowcharts and the documents and, and the specific things that will come from a very particular approach to doing automation and, and intelligence, which is vendor neutral. And that's what we have, of course, we spend our time with our customers and our, our education doing with our automation to intelligence journey. So let's get ourselves started here. Let's talk about where do we start. And I think a really good place to start is, well, what is automation really all about anyways? Exactly. That's a great place to start. So at a very you know, basic level, automation is moving things that are performed by a human, manual tasks, to things that are performed repeatedly by a machine or automated. Yeah. And I think it's important to know that, yes, automation does mean machine. You know, so or it could a long time ago, automation meant, well, actually, really, let's be more specific. Automation means anything that's not done by a human. So a long time ago, automation probably meant, you know, animals. Yeah, I was going to say horses. <laughs> horses. It also could have been like, you know, you know, we water, you know, we use things like water wheels and, you know, steam. But all of these things were basically trying to get the human out of the loop because when when the human has to do everything, when we have to you know, build our houses from scratch using mud and dirt. When we have to harvest our fields using our hands, you know, pulling things up and, you know, using, you know, stone tools or metal tools, it's really very hard to do anything but spend all of our time doing that work. The reason why we are speaking to you virtually over a computer device distributed throughout the world and you can hear our voice amazingly in any country anywhere around the world is because we've invented technology and tools and machines to do all these sorts of things. If we were doing this all manually, Kathleen and I would be standing on street corners and yelling to the crowd. <laughs> and that's how we would communicate our message. And we would just be literally running around from corner to corner. And that's how it used to be done. And so the whole idea of, of automation 
is trying to provide some repeatability. That's the key aspect of automation, this idea of automating, which is making things uh, repeat in, an, in a method and in a manner that does not require the human to constantly be doing that work. And when we can do those things in that, in that automated fashion, we gain benefits. We gain benefits of productivity. We gain benefits of efficiency. We gain benefits of productivity and predictability and reliability. And we'll spend more time on all that. But that's really what automation is all about. So, you know, we even talked a little about this, but why, why do we even automate? Why, why do we do it? Exactly. So it's one thing, okay, what is automation? But then the next question is, okay, that's great. You told me what it is, but why do I even want to do it? Ron talked about some of these points. You want to provide efficiency and repeatability in the tasks that you do. Humans are unpredictable and we get bored. We have to take breaks. We may not do things the exact same precise way every single time. Automation, on the other hand, allows for that. It can do things the exact same way every single time. It can also bring us to that next level of innovation where we are able to now, as, as we've created efficiency and repeatability, we're able to free up the human so that we no longer need to do things the same way that we did before. Maybe because we have, you know, we can come up with different, easier ways or different ways of doing things. It gives us that ability to actually think and give us time to create new things. And automation also helps us deal with variability as well. Yeah. I mean, we can deal with the world changing. And if all of a sudden, uh, you know, all of our people are no longer available because of sickness, because of war, because labor of labor shortages in general, shortages. aging out population. I know. And you might be thinking, you know, if, the, if I told you those things three or four years ago, sickness and war, I mean, like what kind of sickness? Now you're like, okay, this is the year 2020. <laughs> yeah. Recording this in 2022. We have, yeah, we have these major issues. And it's like, if we're, you know, if we're trying to feed the world, if we're trying to clothe the world, if we're trying to give people healthcare and, and finance and all these sorts of things, we're going to become increasingly more dependent on machines because it allows us to do those things, even if the world is constantly changing. A really interesting, uh, idea here that's been that that is talked about in, in innovation circles about this idea of how automation has actually allowed innovation it's not just about repeating things and doing things the same old way the, uh, you know over and over again you know otherwise we'd still be like in horse drawn you know carts with uh, stone wheels or whatever we have <laughs> but the idea is that you know when we do invest and we create automation it actually gives us that freedom as Kathleen mentioned to really innovate so the idea is like a long time ago when we were building houses, we were we were building houses out of uh, timber, you know, and frame and wood. And uh, when you're trying to kick wood together, you you use things like nails. And a long time ago, you know, industrial revolution, pre-industrial revolution, it was the blacksmith that made nails. They made these things called cut nails. And they would did exactly what it sounded like. They would, you know, you'd pound them into the wood and they'd cut through the fibers of the wood and they were shaped like a wedge so they can, you know, really stick the uh, wood together. And that's how it was done for hundreds of years, thousands of years, maybe, <laughs> whenever we try to, to, to do wood, wood framed uh, buildings. Then, of course, we had industrialization, like, hey, we can build a machine that will make nails. And so the first step was like, okay, well, let's get the blacksmith out of the loop here and let's just get a machine to create these cut nails, you know, pounding metal or doing whatever it needed to do. And so the first bunch of nails, you know, came out. They were, of course, much more predictable in shape. 
um, but they still looked like the the old nail, right? It was uh, sort of the repeat of the old process. At some point, someone realized, wait a second, we've invested in automation. We don't have to make the nail look like it used to. We can invent this new kind of round nail, this wire nail. And what the warning will allow us to do is, first of all, we can remove the nail when you pound it in. That was one of the issues when you have a nail that's shaped like a wedge. It's really hard to do that. But also we can do things like create nail guns and we can create, you know, all of this, this industry of like galvanized nails and really drive, drive down the price of nails. And, you know, as, as lowly as this idea of the nail is, it's a great example of the innovation that can happen when you free yourself up, both from a time and a cost perspective, and you've already thought about in, uh, automation, it can really inspire a tremendous amount of innovation. And if you can innovate something as low tech as the nail, then you can innovate anything. And automation gives you that power. Exactly. So, you know, those examples are so great because it's so basic and you're like, really a nail? It's so basic. But the ramifications of it can be so profound. And that's why we like to bring in these different examples. So we can really help showcase even something as small as you think that idea is really can have a major impact. Think about that for your organization as well. When you're trying to think about, you know, where where you are in your automation journey and where do you even begin? So now that we've talked about what is automation and why we want to automate, let's talk about different types of automation. There's hardware, which is physical automation and software automation. When you think of automation, for the most part, I mean, things have started to change a little, maybe that uh, different software automation tools have been brought into organizations. But for the most part, when you think of automation, you'll think of that traditional hardware, you know, robot on an, on an assembly line doing a repetitive task over and over again, and that physical automation. So hardware automation is devices and machines that can automatically perform certain tasks. So like I said, you know, with an assembly line, for example, different areas and, and different types of hardware automation are industrial robots. So they're dedicated to a single repetitive task that you do over and over again. In man manufacturing, for example, think about, like I said, you take a part, you put it into you know, a, a different area, and you keep moving that. Typically, these industrial robots are fixed in place. They're caged off from humans. They're incredibly strong and powerful, do not understand the world around them. And so they need to be caged off so that they don't accidentally, you know, hit or crush their human counterparts. And as I'm sure you can tell from the way I've described it, there is no intelligence necessary in these industrial robots. They're just programmed to do a task and mm -hmm. they do it. Yeah. Another type of hardware automation that we have is collaborative robots or cobots. We've had podcasts on this before, so we won't go into too great detail on that, but I'll make sure to link to it in the show notes so that if you want to learn more about it, you definitely can. But this idea of collaborative robots came around in the 1990s, where you're able to have robots interact and work side by side with humans. So this gives you greater variability in your operation. These cobots can be moved around. They're meant to work in close proximities with humans. You don't need to worry about them crushing you. And because of that, there needs to be some limited intelligence in them so that they're able to somewhat perceive the world around them. And then we also have uh, 
you know, hardware robots like autonomous mobile robots. These are meant to move around, operate in the real world environment, obviously be able to navigate their surroundings so they don't bump into things like walls and doors and humans. (laughs) We do not want that. Think about this for logistics facilities or hospitals. You know, we've talked about how there's robots that can help deliver medicine in hospitals, or we've had robots that can help deliver room service, things like that, distribution, delivery of certain things. This obviously is going to need a little bit greater level of intelligence. We want to make sure that it doesn't, you know, run into grandma walking down the hallway in your hotel. So please make sure that it can you know, figure that out. So we'd need a little bit more intelligence here, but these are some very, you know, uh, common hardware automation robots. And of course, the idea with hardware automation, which has of course been the whole world of automation until the computer was basically invented in the 1950s and 60s was, you know, anything that was a real world task that needed to be automated, you have to have some sort of real world thing, right? And it's not even the the, the robots that Kathleen talked about, but you have industrial automation. You have things that will turn open and close valves, turn on and off lights that will, you know, move things around the real world. Well, yeah, you have to have a device that will automatically (laughs) open and close valves and turn on off lights and do all sorts of stuff. And you you can get industrial automation for your home. You can automate your home. Mm -hmm. But of course, many factories and, you know, chemical plants, et cetera, they they depend on this industrial automation because you don't want to be like, oh, there's a problem. And you say, hey, you know, person, can you run down (laughs) and turn off that valve because uh, something's about to blow up? So uh, that's where you have industrial automation. And so automation has been about, again, just repeating a task, in this case, just a a real world task. Well, we have computers. And not all the tasks that we do are real-world tasks. It's not all about opening and closing valves or you know, assembling a part or moving thing from one place in the warehouse to another. It might be doing those same things kind of virtually. Maybe I need to move data from one place to another. Maybe I need to create, instead of manufacture a real-world thing, maybe I need to manufacture a data object or some piece of software. So software automation is really the same idea as hardware automation. It's just that all the tasks are not in the real world. They're all in software, right? I'm just repeating a software task. Now, of course, you might be familiar with the idea of process automation, where maybe I have some sort of task that needs to happen across multiple systems. Take something out of the finance system, move it into the you know purchasing system, move that maybe to a to somebody's you know, invoicing system, whatever, right? That's a process, many, many, many processes on from procurement to sales, to manufacturing, to marketing, everything's a process, right? Finance processes, et cetera. And there's a very specific kind of process automation called robotic process automation, which we've spent many times talking about. We will definitely be spending more time talking about that in this series of podcasts, where it's like there's certain kinds of repetitive software tasks that involve a human operation at a user interface level. For example, keyboard types and clicks and cutting and pasting and swiping and that sort of stuff. And at some point, someone realized that I need to automate a task, but it's not possible for me to automate that at the lowest level, software to software, so I can just pretend to be the human, right? 
And instead of the human actually doing the clicking and the typing, I can have the machine do it. And that's really what robotic process automation is all about. And it's been very, very popular because it helps get around some many of the problems that we've had with, with trying to hire a developer, basically, a programmer to get the system to talk to each other, which may not even be possible due to security issues, connectivity issues, all sorts of problems. And it's very, maybe just more time and cost intensive, and it's just easier to pretend that the machine is doing the work of a human. And this actually brings up the idea of in the software world, you know, I think the word robot is unfortunate. It's actually kind of sad that we're using the term robot because the word robot makes us think of the physical world. Like the robot is part of the assembly line. Everything that Kathleen was talking about, industrial robots, cobots, et cetera. We have in our mind a physical thing. We should have just taken the letters R and O out of it and just made it bots. Mm -hmm. Because when I say the word bot, you instantly think of software. I think of a software bot, you know, like pretend, you know, maybe doing some not so good things. We have software bots that pretend to be humans and do things like, you know, post on social media and you know, do searches and <laughs> yeah. or scrape, scrape websites. Every time you see the question that says, are you a robot? They're not asking you if you're like an actual hardware robot. They're asking if you're a software bot and they want to protect their systems from software bots. So I really wish, we really wish that the term robotic process automation should have just been desktop workflow automation. But besides that, uh, desktop workflow task automation, but it should have just been bot automation, you know, software bot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and there's really two flavors of them. We're going to go into this more detail, but of course you have the bots that work with you while you're in a task. These are so-called attended bots that you can, you know, if you're talking to a customer on the, on the phone and you want to say, Hey, I want to look up their customer information. You, you can kick off a bot and they'll go out and do this thing. Or you can have, of course, unattended bots that you don't need the human there and they just operate in the background. But yeah, bots. <laughs> I think that's what, when we're talking about it, we're going to talk about bots. We're definitely not going to use this other term. I'm just going to mention it once. I and mean, I don't think we're going to talk about, again, this crazy new term called hyper-automation, which is a whole lot of vendor hype. I'm just going to put it out there. We're going to get a lot of hate, I'm sure, from our podcast listeners. <laughs> you may be using it internally yourself. Yeah, yeah. Let's focus on what the problem is and focus on the solution. Let's not make it something bigger than it is. We have software automation. We're going to talk about software automation and on this journey. We'll talk about all the things that you can do, whether you want to call it business process integration, business process management, robotic process automation, software automation, hyper automation, whatever floats your boat. But we're going to talk about software, bot automation and hardware automation and how to move things forward. Exactly. So there's a lot of reasons why you may want to automate something. We talk about return on investment a lot on this podcast, and especially in some of our education, our CPMAI methodology, the Cognitive Project Management for AI methodology and certification course, ROI is not always just about cost savings. There's a lot more to ROI. So some of the reasons you may want to automate can be economic reasons where you, yes, you may want to reduce costs, and that is an incredibly valid reason and a good ROI, but there are also, you know, you may want process improvements and process optimization. Take a look at your entire, you know, workflow and say, where in this can I automate things to speed it up, or where can I have process improvements? Also, you may want to increase revenue through efficiency gains that you can get when you automate, right? We talked earlier about how automation helps with efficiency. And also, automation can help accelerate digital transformation. We know a lot of organizations have continued for decades to try and achieve digital transformation, and automation is one way to help accelerate that. Yeah. And, you know, we certainly a lot of times you think about 
automation, you think about those, those you know, cost savings and revenue savings. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. But there are other reasons to think about automation. You may want to uh, improve your, be more resilient. You may want to have practices, instead of having a human do it in the not most consistent way every single time, maybe you want consistency and automation will give you consistency. And having consistency may give you better competitive competitiveness. And having that, that competitiveness because you can be more resilient to change. Maybe we talked about the fact that you can even introduce maybe new products faster or get products out or deliver service faster. And by delivering that service faster, getting those products out faster, you can actually be more competitive. I know that when we switched, in our case, from one bank to another, it's entirely because of automation. I know it's mm-hmm. great to say this, but we had such a terrible experience with the loan process that clearly was being done by humans. Nothing wrong with the pure humans, but they were overloaded. They were not predictable, making stupid mistakes. We moved to another bank that clearly was automated. <laughs> they we, we got a response in days that took the other, well, even less than days, that took the other one weeks to get a response. And it was very, very predictable. It's like everything happened in a regular way, entirely based on automation. Did we save money moving to it? No, this had nothing to do with us saving money. The bank probably didn't save any money, but they'd sure gained a customer as a result of that. And that's great. And that actually brings us to the to the next ROI of, of automation, making customers happier. You make them happier when you're predictable, when you're reliable. Uh, you make your employees happier. We'll get into this later when we talk about getting buy-in from the employees, because there are some issues with automation and employees. But when you take away the tasks they hate, <laughs> yes, <laughs> that they have to do, and you give that to a machine because you still have to do them, you make them happier. Happy customers, happy employees. And of course, if you have systems that are more predictable, that are more uh, because they're automated, they're they're manageable, they're auditable, they're visible, you make management happy. They have better understanding of what can happen. They'd be like, well, I don't know how this process happens because if you know, you know, Jim does it, you know, he's slow. And if Pam does it, she's fast. And you know, we have a new worker. I don't know if they know how to do it. They're making mistakes. We have an older worker, he's doing great, but now he's sick. So having automation. Uh, helps even if even if the savings and the cost match each other. So there's no real economic benefits. And there's still other reasons. I actually kind of hinted at already a, a few of them. But besides economic and competitive reasons, we have additional reasons uh, for quality and, and and safety reasons. Exactly. So you know when you're automating something, it it's able to do it over and over and over again in a repeatable, predictable way. When you have that, you can reduce errors. You can also have a reduction in variability of results. You know, no longer, we talked about, right, the nail. No longer are nails going to come out in a variety of different shapes and sizes, all that sort of look the same, but aren't really uniform. No, we'll have uniform nails that come out and can lay nicely in a box and be put in, you know, <laughs> the same hole and, and it's no big deal. We're able to have that now because of automation. And we can also have improvement in availability of operation as well. So it just really helps improve quality in general. And also safety and governance reasons as well that, you know, you can see ROI with that. Where automation is able to perform the four Ds, we call them. So it's dirty, dull, dangerous tasks that you don't want humans going in and doing. This can be going into unsafe environments. This can be checking things that you know, like uh, wind turbines, for example, that are very high off the ground. And you might not want humans to be that high off the ground going and checking all of these wind turbines, automate that task. And no longer do you need to put humans in these unsafe conditions. Also, you know, those dull 
dull tasks that humans, we get bored. We do not want to do the same task over and over for eight hours a day. We're going to start making mistakes because we don't want to do it. So get, you know, automate those tasks. So it's also going to help it with increase in reporting and auditability. If you're able to automate reporting, it'll come out the same uniform way every single time. That's incredibly important. Humans are going to get bored at that. Machines don't get bored. You'll have it come out. Fudge the numbers, you know. Oh, yeah, that too. (laughs) Okay, that too. (laughs) So it just really helps with that, you know, standardization of tasks. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. There's actually a, the four D's comes up a lot. You know, clearly people think of at least three of those four D's when they're thinking about automation, they think about dirty, dull, and dear, which is these elements are expensive. Um, you know, and you might think, well, wait a sec, what does dangerous have anything to do with software? You might think, well, there's no, just, you know, that may be like a real world bot going into a mine or something and dealing with mine conditions. But actually now in the world of, of uh, cybersecurity and privacy, it may turn out a really good reason to automate something is because you don't want humans looking at the data. Of all the reasons now, that's actually becoming really important. You may be like, wait a second, a human can go in here and look at this email. And you might be like, you know what? Maybe humans should not be looking at those emails. Maybe humans should not be looking at those databases. Maybe humans should not be looking at those PDF files. Even if the machine is literally doing everything that the, that the, that the human is doing, the fact that a machine is doing it by itself adds value because you could say at least a human is not looking at those documents. They're not supposed to be looking at them. So that's actually the um, software version of the D dangerous one, which is like, it's dangerous for humans to look at data. So yeah. And I just want to add to that too. It's important that we'd like to share all these examples because you may go, well, that doesn't apply to me, but hold up. Yes, it does. And here's why. And that's why it's really important to give these examples. So, you know, hopefully we've given you actually many, many reasons. I mean, hopefully now, you know, you listen to this podcast, you're like, oh, I I can already think of of tasks that I'm doing that can benefit from any of these of these ROI, whether it's economic or or any of the other competitive or or quality reasons. And I think in order to get started, you may be thinking, I want to get started. But, you know, you have to ask the right questions because, you know, you could you could literally automate anything. But, but you don't need want to automate anything. You want to automate the right thing, right? Exactly. So, so you have to ask a bunch of questions. And of course, this is you know, something we spend quite a bit of time in our training and roadmap. But we're going to tell you at least some of these questions that you need to ask and you need to think about um, you know, before you start your automation task. Exactly. So the first question when you ask, you know, what can or should I automate? The first question you should ask is what processes or tasks am I currently doing? We talk about this a lot when we talk about AI. People get, you know, it's like shiny and people are attracted to it and want to just get started and dig right in. And we say, okay, that's great, but hold up because AI is not a solution for everything. Automation is not a solution for everything either. So understand the processes that you're doing. And once you've once you've asked that question, what processes am I doing? Then you say, how can I best optimize these processes or tasks? Automation may not be a solution. So I want to point that out because it's, you know, <laughs> every single task doesn't need to be automated. It can solve a lot and it's useful. And there's a lot of different things that you can apply automation to, but it is not, you know, a one size fits all and a cure all for everything. Yeah. 
Other questions that you should ask is, what processes or tasks am I currently doing that aren't really needed? That's also important. Sometimes we just get so into what we're doing. You know, you come on board, you've been told that this is what you do, so you just go and do it, and you're so busy, you really don't have time to stop and think, and you're just kind of doing these tasks. And if you actually took a moment to sit back and look at this, you'd say, this is not needed. You know, map out those business processes. And you may say, this task isn't actually needed at all. Also, what tasks are you doing that can be improved? Just because you're doing it doesn't mean you're doing it the right way. And then what tasks are you not doing that really should be done? That's also important. Sometimes you may be missing or skipping things unnecessarily or inadvertently. Make sure that you're, you're really focusing on that as well. And how much variability is there in the tasks and how much variability is acceptable in those tasks as well. And then we always talk about, you know, human in the loop. Does a human need to be in the loop here? And if it does, how much of that human needs to be in the loop? You know, is it 100% focus? Is, is it only when different situations arise? So make sure you're you're addressing that. How complicated does the technology need to be to take the human out of the loop? Another great question you need to ask, and it depends on different situations, different industries, different use cases. Maybe, you know, within, within your organization, that can be answered in a variety of different ways, depending on the use case. What can go wrong if the automation doesn't work well? You know, what, what's the negative impacts there? And what are the risks involved in the automation? Also incredibly important to be thinking about automation, like I said, doesn't solve everything. And by now, hopefully you understand nothing is a set it and forget it. So you need to be thinking about what happens if something goes wrong? You know, how much does a human need to be in the loop? What are the risks involved in this automation? Maybe what are the rewards as well? Yeah. The funny thing is each one of these questions is actually like almost a whole education module on its own. <laughs> I know. Just answering one of these questions, you mean like, you, like even one of the, you might be think simple is like how much variability is there in a task? It's like, well, it might be that when you do the task a hundred times, there may be like 60 different ways of doing that task a hundred, a hundred times. And it might be like every single time you do the task, it's different regardless of whether or not a human is doing it. Just even if a machine does it, you're like, well, this task doesn't happen the same way every time. That is, you might not be able to automate that. I mean, like that's one of the, the the suggestion points. So each one of these bullet points, you know, when we when we do education training, we spend a significant amount of time because because answering these questions is everything in making the the project successful. So, um, you know, here, well, of course, we're just giving you generic education here. And I think, you know, if you go back and listen to this podcast, and you might want to listen to this podcast, maybe the same episode, listen to it five or six times, because this is, this is very informational dense. But let's just assume that you have now some answer. You're like, okay, you found something that suggests you'd get some benefit from automating, right? Taking, making a machine do something that a human was doing, right? It could be hardware, but most likely we're all talking about software because those are going to be the easiest things to process to get started. You don't have to procure something that has to live in the real world. One of the first things you need to think about when you're getting started is, are you automating a whole process? That's like a whole bunch of different things that need to happen in some flow, some order, or are you automating a task? like something that someone is doing. I'll give you a very good example of this, right? Of course, in the real world, 
you know, a task might be, you know, stamping something out of metal or moving something from the shelf on the warehouse to a packing line, or it might be, you know, delivering something. Okay. That we understand that task, right? You may be saying, okay, I'm just going to automate that one task. But from a software perspective, a lot of things that we're doing are automating sometimes just tasks. Like somebody emails me something like a PDF document. I'm in uh, finance. I need to take the invoice out of the PDF. I need to cut and paste into my finance system. What a massive pain in the butt that is, right? And you might be thinking, my job as finances, I wasn't hired to be cut and paste master. If you're spending all of your time doing that, you're not spending any of your time doing your actual job, which is you know finance. You're spending all of your time being the cut and paste email opener master. And just having a machine do that would save so much time that it'd be useful. So you don't have to reinvent the whole process of invoicing. All you have to do is just improve that process because if you're spending two hours a day, so that actually improve that task, because if you're spending two hours a day just opening up emails and cutting and pasting, and you can recover that two hours a day, you could do your, your job better. And I think one, the, the first step you should think about is what, at what level of granularity, you know, are you automating something big or something really small? And sometimes you can get the biggest wins from automating small things. You don't have to, a big process doesn't always give you a big win from a financial perspective. Exactly. And that's really important to understand. Also, make sure, you know, we, Ron talked about it, but make sure you understand what a process is and what a task is and figure out how to automate it. Tasks are going to be much smaller, uh, probably a lot easier to automate than an entire process. So make sure that you're understanding that and really thinking it through. Also, you'll want to do, you know, mapping software. Uh, with business solutions. So really, really do that mapping of your business solution and business processes so that you can say, okay, where, where, you know, how, what is my, what is my business process? How does it look when it's mapped out? This helps you identify operational bottlenecks. It also can help you identify areas for potential risk and also it can help you identify tasks that are redundant and possibly can be removed fully from your process. Yeah, that actually brings us to the next point here, which is like, you might be thinking, wait a second, how much am I actually actually repeating this task? How much about this is just optimizing my process? Like I'm doing something, but I want to do it better, more efficiently, more effectively, more reliably, repeat all those things we talked about. And then how much of this is where I'm actually improving the process? where I'm changing the way things are done, right? I'm moving from cut nails to round nails, right? Well, moving from cut nails to round nails involves more than just, uh, you know, repeating something. You have to actually reinvent something and you have to come up with all sorts of stuff and you kind of box to put these nails in and all sorts of stuff like that. Um, you know, it's not that one is actually not better than the other. They're just different things. And you might be saying, wait, I can save millions of dollars just optimizing my process. It's the same process, just doing it better. And you might be saying, wait a second, I could save millions of dollars improving the process, changing the process. They're both very good. The one point that we talk about is that you do need to know whether or not a process, there are good processes and bad processes. Sometimes the process shouldn't exist at all. And simply automating it will just, as they say, dig your hole deeper. You don't, you don't want to be automating bad processes. And this is something we spend a lot of our time talking about in our training, but we will probably spend a little bit of time talking about here in future podcasts, where sometimes automation can make problems worse. And we've heard about this in the financial area in, in particular, that sometimes when you speed something up, 
um, it just moves the problem somewhere else. Now you're overloading part of your system where you may not necessarily have the capacity to deal with that overload. Um, and, and, and this is actually an issue in supply chain. We've optimized our supply chain so tightly now that we basically literally only manufacture just enough so that we don't have too much inventory, which solved an inventory problem. But now when there are supply chain disruption, we have massive shortages. And, and so uh, one of the questions you have to talk about is, is, um, is when do we improve processes? When do we optimize them? Uh, optimizing may not always be the right thing. Improving may not always be the right thing. And of course, the other thing is that automation is not free. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> it does have a cost. And so you have to make sure that the cost of automation doesn't outweigh the benefits that you get from it. And so you have to sort of figure out, well, what is, how do you measure those benefits? How do you figure out what your key performance indicators are? What are you measuring? As they always say, you can't manage what you don't measure. And you need to make sure that, that you're running these projects effectively. I know we've covered a whole lot of territory here in a podcast. And Kathleen and I even talked about this before we did the podcast, which is like, well, how much are we talking about our podcast that sort of um, covers what you do in training? The irony is, is like, we talked about a lot, but but like, this is still just the tip of the iceberg. We, yeah. we It's very hard to actually cover all of this in a podcast. You, you, and you might be saying, wait a second, I, I, I really want more. And, and the answer is good. Well, we're glad you want more and we hope you want more, but we need you to understand, first of all, that there is more. And, and, and I know I'm kind of jumping a little bit to the end here, but like a lot of these vendors won't tell you that there's more. They'll just be like, buy the software, repeat the task, life is good. But as you were just hearing now, wait a second, there's so much to consider. And being successful is about considering those things because anybody can implement software. Anybody can spend money on consulting and get those people in there to repeat a thing. But if you want to be successful, you have to automate the right things. So we could take some steps. Let's do this in the right order. That's what a roadmap is all about. Exactly. So we're talking right now just about that level zero unintelligent automation. We had talked about different levels of automation in our previous podcast, and we'll be talking about it a lot more in subsequent podcasts, as well as our education. But, you know, really, when you're thinking about just getting started with automation, there's different things that you need to you know, follow in, in different in, in this specific order make sure that you're following these steps and make sure you're doing these specific things. One, you want to identify the pain points. So where are these manual things that I'm doing actually causing problems? And then measure what that current cost of that manual task is. You know, what are the, what are the, all of the costs associated with that? And however you want to define costs. Then you also need to make non-digital things digital. You know, we talk about that digitization. Uh, what does it take for you to make manual, paper-based, people-based processes and actually turn them digital? Think about that. And, you know, what do you need to automate in order to make that possible? This is going to be an iterative approach. Hopefully by now you've understood that. So understand that you know, at Cognolytica, we always say, think big, but start small and iterate often. So where are you going to be able to do a small, a small automation task? Have a win, 
And then you'll continue to move from there. So you're going to want to start small so that you can show some of those immediate ROIs, quick wins, get buy-in from management, get buy-in from stakeholders, different folks at, at the organization, show them what's possible without doing too much and really get buy-in so you can then continue and move forward with bigger and larger automation tasks, more automation tasks. When you're doing something like that too, you're going to want to start with the stakeholder. We had talked about it earlier. Do not automate tasks that they like and keep all the tasks that they hate. That's going to make for very grumpy workers. Talk to them. Figure out the tasks that are really causing them pain points, really causing them issues. And think about automating them first. Automation for a lot of people can be scary. This idea, no matter how many times we talk about it, others talk about it, write about it, automation can be scary. People think it may take away their jobs, may make them less relevant at the organization. If you work with the stakeholders from the beginning and you have man, you know, management buy-in on this and you're really communicating with everybody, the effects of automation become a lot less scary and it's no longer, you know, how is this going to negatively impact me, but how is this going to positively impact me? What will this be taking, you know, how will this be adding to my day? I heard that, you know, somebody said, don't have that scarcity mindset where you're saying, well, you know, what are you taking away saying, what are you adding and how can this help? And it really changes your perspective on things. Uh, and it no longer becomes negative. And then intelligent doesn't always, you know, it's not the end goal of automation. We've talked about a lot of things today, how it's, you know, you, there can be no intelligence in any of the tasks, still provide a ton of benefit. I mean, we, you know, the nail example, there's no intelligence in there. That provides a lot of efficiency, that provides a lot of benefit to all of society. So, you know, you don't need to have that level three automation in order to gain intelligence. You will gain in, or in, in, in order to gain any impact on your organization. You can gain those impacts even at level zero. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's a healthy way, a really healthy perspective on automation. You don't need to be hyper to get value from automation. You don't need to be intelligent to get value from automation. Intelligence helps in certain ways. We will talk about that. You know, you know, thinking about uh, automation in the context of other things helps as well. You know, software automation is good. Process automation is good. Robot automation is good. Hardware automation is good. You know, and I think the the real thing here is, and it, and I think this is sort of why you know we're we're just trying to illustrate that there is an iceberg here. What you see with automation, the ten percent that you see. The 90% that you don't see, that is where all of the challenges and impacts for automation are. Because there's really no reason, if you can take, if you can make something happen in a repeatable, reliable, efficient way, and a, and a person is doing it now that's not efficient, not reliable, not effective, there's no reason not to do it. And you can have that person do something else. This is not about getting rid of the person, right? This is all about, about getting rid of the task the, the, that we need to do because the person can do something better, right? And I think that's sort of what this 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 is all about. And we know this has been a bit of an overwhelming podcast, you know, because there's really been a lot, even, even some of the things we talk about here, we have some slides in front of us, 
you know, we, we could spend hours on each one of these things and talk about how do you identify the pain points? How do you measure the cost of manual? How do you make non-digital things digital? I'm just talking about the stuff that Kathleen just talked about. How do I take an iterative approach? How do I work with my stakeholders? These are all extremely good questions. And if you have to think about each of these things from scratch, and you don't want to, you don't benefit from other people's experiences, then you won't, you won't be doing them with best practices. And of course, that's, we spend a lot of our time thinking about best practices. So kind of moving along here, you know, what we're going to do in our future podcast, because this is a podcast series, where this is not the end of the journey here. This is no, actually, no, no. <laughs> you know, we're actually just barely getting started here. You know, we, we, we talked about the fact that there is a journey and now we talk about where to get started. So what we're going to talk about in the very next podcast is, okay, let's get started. Like we figured out, we figured out a task or a process we want to start with. And we're going to start with that level zero. And we're going to, we're going to bring into our, our uh, task and our process, these aspects of process automation, which you may not have before. And we'll talk a little bit about how we're going to make that work. So, so stay tuned for that, for our very next podcast in this series. And of course, we're going to work our way up the intelligent levels of process intelligence, because we do gain more benefits when we can have machines do take away some of the cognitive load that humans uh, would otherwise do. And it allows us to do some things that we may not be able to do with, uh, you know, dumb processes as it were. Right? Exactly. So if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, podcast and you are not already subscribed, please make sure to subscribe to the AI Today podcast. You'll get notified of all future episodes, including the many episodes that we have coming up on this roadmap series of automation to intelligence. As we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, we also always love to hear from our listeners. So please do reach out. You can always email us at info at cognolitica.com. That's I-N-F-O at C-O-G-N-I-L Y-T-I-C-A.com. You can also rate us on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. We do check them regularly and we love to hear from our listeners. So please do make sure to give us a rating. We always love five stars, but we love your feedback as well. And as we mentioned, we have education around this as well. If you're interested in going through this education yourself or putting a group from your organization through, you can reach out to us as well. And we're happy to get you uh, signed up for that. So please do make sure to reach out. You can reach out at info at cognolitica.com. And again, thank you for listening to this podcast and we'll catch you at the next episode. And that's a wrap for today. To download this episode, find additional episodes and transcripts, subscribe to our newsletter and more, please visit our website at cognolitica.com. Join the discussion in between podcasts on the AI Today Facebook group. And make sure to join the Cognolytica Facebook page for updates on this and future podcasts. Also subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Play, and elsewhere to get notified of future episodes. Want to support this podcast and get your message out to our listeners? Then become a sponsor. We offer significant benefits for AI Today sponsors, including promotion in the podcast and landing page, and opportunities to be a guest on the AI Today show. For more information on sponsorship, visit the Cognolytica website and click on the podcast link. This sound recording and its contents is copyright by Cognolytica. All rights reserved. Music by Matsu Gravas. As always, thanks for listening to AI Today, and we'll catch you at the next podcast. <laughs>